Today's episode is for the foodies. Gail Simmons is a Canadian-born culinary expert, food writer, and dynamic television personality. Since the show's inception in 2006, she has lent her extensive expertise as the permanent judge on Bravo's Emmy-winning series, Top Chef. Now in its 17th successful season, Top Chef is rated the number one food show on cable television. In today's episode, Gail and I are talking food, obviously. More specifically, she's sharing her top five favorite food cities, why she loves them, what she'd order if she was going there for dinner tonight, and what is it about the historical significance of that place in the world that influences its food and culture in such a beautiful way. Definitely want to get a snack before you listen to this one because it will make you hungry. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is your Faves Faves. intention with the show was I just wanted to give people something light and fun and interesting that wasn't heavy in a time where so many things feel really heavy. So I sit down with different people and they pick any category and they tell me their top five favorite things in that category. And I never know what category the guests have selected until we hang out. So that is what the show is. And I did hear that you had a really fun one. So I'm excited to hear what your what your favorite category is. Ah, I'm glad someone thought it was fun because it's very daunting to pick a category. It feels like very permanent. And also, I could do 10. I could do 20. Like to pick just five. I'm very bad at decision making because I always ultimately want to please everybody and make sure everyone's included. That's like my nature, which makes it these type of things very challenging. So do you, are you ready to hear it? Yes, I'm ready. Yes, please <laughs> I share. didn't know if there was like some sort of... So I chose to do my top five favorite food cities in the world to eat in. Okay, great. Perfect. Perfect. And this is the whole world, not national. So, I mean, We're going all over the place. Okay. You know, yes, which is why it's right. hard to pick five. Yes. I could have gone national, Absolutely. but... Absolutely. I, I, no, you know, I like I, this. This feels fun. I thought it would be a little more interesting and inclusive to to do the world. <laughs> so one of the questions I always ask is, are you going to give us the list in like order from least favorite to most? Or is this just a grab bag? They're in any order. I'm going to say they're in any order. Okay, great. Perfect. Because, there's, All right. you know, there's so, different yeah, nuances to each It's too place. hard. And absolutely. What is the first city on your list? So the first city I think of my five best eating cities in the world, in no particular order, but sort of this could be number one, <laughs> is Tokyo. Wow. Okay. I've never been. Tell me everything. Oh, how much time? I mean, that's a podcast in itself. I mean, that's an entire like <laughs> 36 episode arc, uh, but that's why I chose it. Um, and obviously we can't, you know, I don't want to spend all my time on Tokyo because I have a deep-rooted obsession with Japan and with Tokyo as a city. But Tokyo, um, I just think, is number one. The culture in Japan, their food culture is so broad and so far-reaching and so specific that you cannot walk 20 steps in Tokyo without hitting 
something that you have to eat. And especially as a tourist and being the enormous city that it is, I mean, it is truly one of the largest cities in the world, millions and millions and millions of people. um, And it is a huge spread out city with nooks and crannies and alleys and corners that, you know, the taxi drivers can't ever even, you know, tell you where every spot is, that there is just endless discovery in Tokyo. And for me, someone who doesn't speak the language, what I love about Tokyo is that it is a city that doesn't rely on English. So for an English speaker or a romance language speaker, like I actually can speak a few languages. Japanese is not one of them. Uh, You really are at their mercy. And it, it has taught me so much, so many lessons in terms of my eating, just about trust and about Mm. adventure and exploration and that I think is such a big part of learning to just be a great eater which in in turn I think makes you a great citizen of the world how old were you when you went there for the first time the first time I went to Tokyo was on my honeymoon which was in 2008 um and then I went back in 2019 um okay 11 years later yeah And were you with someone who had been there before and so they could sort of guide you around? Both times the next. Both times I was with my husband. You know, clearly on my honeymoon, I was, you know, with myself. And then we went back again together in 2019. And on our honeymoon, we weren't with other people, but we were lucky enough to have a few connections that helped us navigate a little bit, which led to some really incredible unexpected serendipitous moments in a city of, I don't know what it is, like 26 million people. I, I don't know how many people are in Tokyo. That's a miscount, but it is a really huge number, like 18 million people. Uh, you know, we did have a few connections that got us started and helped us. And then the second time I went, I was um, met by and guided by for the entire time I was there, um, locals. And wow, was that helpful. But we still insisted on escaping from them once in a while too because that was more of a work trip to just hit the streets ourselves and get lost in Tokyo and that's the best thing to do. So if you and I are going there tonight and you there's one meal we get one meal in Tokyo tonight what are we eating? Well see this is the thing I mean about any world cuisine of the world but I find Japan to just be so completely detail-oriented that you know when we eat Japanese food here, yes, we either go for ramen or maybe we go, you know, we go for ramen or we go for sushi or we go for, you know, sort of a izakaya, which is sort of their bar, snacky, pub food. But when you are in Japan or in Tokyo, every restaurant is more or less a specialty at one thing. Like you can go for just tempura mm-hmm. or just grill, just izakaya, or just going for tapenyaki or um, whatever it is. So it's sort of endless, but I, that's what's so dizzying. So I almost always ate more than one thing in a night. You can't just go to one place if I'm taking you for one night. Oh, that's um, so fun. Because you can just go and have, you know, great cocktails in one place. And then you go for just, you know, yakitori, and then you go for just tempura, and then you go for some sushi. And the other thing about, I can see this is where it happens. This is where I start just going off on a tangent about Tokyo. I am here for Um, it. I'm so here for it. Thank you. But the thing about it is you end up, the, the other thing about Japan is that it does 
every other cuisine in the world so beautifully as well because they go so deep and they really do believe in really studying and learning and mastering their craft. So they're really, you know, they, they are incredible at pastry. They have an obsession with sweets and pastry. The pastry in Tokyo, including the European sort of Western style pastry, the French pastry is unbelievable there and dessert culture. But, you know, so is Italian food there and so many others, Chinese food for sure. That said, I would only take you for, for Japanese food. And I would probably take you for like a true omakase at a sushi counter where you don't speak the language and you walk in and there's a counter of six or eight people only and you are just completely at the mercy of the chef. And um, we had that experience on our first time going to Tokyo where, you know, you can't even read the menu and we were in a place where there were very few Westerners and we sat down and just threw up our hands and ended up having one of the greatest meals of our lives. Oh, I love this. This is, Chelsea was like, I think this is going to be like your favorite topic. And she's right. This is a really <laughs> oh, good, good one. Glad. I love this. Okay. So Tokyo's on our list. Yes. What is our second city? So maybe this is going to feel to people like it is a, a cliche, but I do think it deserves to be noted. So I'm going to say Paris. And, and I don't try to center my life or, or my cooking experience around French food, even though my training as a professional is founded in French cuisine for a lot of good and bad reasons. Um, but it certainly is the foundation of Western restaurant culinary structure. But I will say that at the core of French cooking, you know, Paris is heads and tails just, you know, above so many other places in the world. It is so deeply rich, thousands of years old. I mean, so many cities are so. But in in what it does, and I think that when people think of French food, they often think of fussiness and fanciness because that is the reputation of kind of classic chef experience in France and perhaps the snootiness. But I believe truthfully that France, um, all over France, but you know, to go to a, a city like Paris, you never have to set foot in a fancy, stuffy place. And the last kind of three trips that I've had to to Paris over the last, let's say, decade of my life, I've thrown away all of the needing to eat at the fancy restaurants and only eaten at the tiny bistros and in the markets and in the cheese shops and the grocery stores and the boulangerie, the pastry and bread bakeries and the natural wine bars. And they were doing all of those things, you know, before it was here. And it is just their way of life to to shop locally, to, you know, go to the baker for the best bread at a certain time of day, to go to the cheese shop for your cheese and to, you know, to go to your local butcher and to the local fruit and vegetable place and sort of, you know, gather what you need to cook and also to eat locally in these little incredible bistros and brasseries that are cooking really innovative, humble, incredible food with great ingredients. I agree. I've been to Paris, I think four times and some of the best meals of my entire life. And they weren't at fancy places. They were at really like, my thing is always asking the concierge, like, where do we Mm -hmm. have to go? Like, tell us the spot, get us in, call the person, whatever. And have had just incredible, incredible experiences. And I do think that there's something to, I I come from a 
um, an upbringing where people didn't really travel. They didn't really go anywhere. Their worldview was very small. And I do think oftentimes Americans have a really, there's a really negative perception of Americans going to countries because we can act like idiots. But I do think if you're listening to this podcast and you're sort of salivating the way I am and thinking about when the world opens back up and we're allowed to travel again, the willingness like you're talking about to just go be present and to be looking for what that city has to offer beautifully instead of trying to sort of make it the thing that you want it to be, to sort of accept whatever the culture is that's coming at you Mm -hmm. is the Mm -hmm. best way to experience a city. I think there's so many ways to do it as, you know, as a traveler, wherever you're coming from, and kind of really keep an open mind to that culture because you're on their territory. Yes. And not go in with preconceived notions of what it's supposed to be or or what it should be. And and kind of just, you know, it's all about respecting their culture and making that effort. And sometimes it does make take effort to because things are gonna be different, feel different, look different, their language is different, their uh, traditions, their um, etiquette, their cultural practices are different. That certainly stands for Tokyo and absolutely for France as someone from North America. I will say I'm actually not American. I'm not an American citizen. Oh, right. You're Canadian. I'm Canadian. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I've lived in America for the same amount of time that I lived in Canada. Like I've actually last year was my official. I've lived in both countries equal time. The first 22 wow. years in Canada and the next 22 years uh, have more in the States. So I don't travel on an American passport, but certainly I consider myself obviously like, you know, more or less um, American. And I, and I see all of those angles as living as a non-American in America and traveling as a non-American, but everyone assumes I'm American. And when people ask me where I live and where I'm from, I say New York. So I always like to say like, I'm a New Yorker, but I'm not an American. Um, although I hope to be, yeah. we're working on the citizenship. It's all, it's all <laughs> with, you know, the powers that be at this point. Anyway, that's another topic. But my point is, I do think that there will always be moments of awkwardness and disorientation. Tokyo, for me, is the ultimate in that of like everything feels loaded and different. And there's so much cultural significance that you could study Japanese culture as a non-Japanese person for hundreds of years and still not get the nuances. And the other side of the world, it's going to be different. And, you know, learning to embrace that instead of be defensive, I think is the greatest part of travel, of knowing that you're going to put your foot in your mouth, but hopefully you'll put some other delicious things in your mouth as well. And, (laughs) you know, coming into it being like, I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm doing my best. But I'm also going to be humble and let my ego go and know that like I'm on your turf. So show me all the great things, but also teach me that different worldview. I love and that. that's hard, but oh, I do think okay. that it's easy. Like food is such a beautiful, perfect entry point to all of those lessons when you're traveling. Because sitting down at a table in a foreign country with a local or at a local spot and seeing, you know, how that all goes is going to be different ordering eating what utensils you're eating with the, the the order of the meal the ingredients all of those things make for learning right and that is like but it's also such a universal experience so absolutely i love the idea of, of sort of speaking to the respect that comes with that as well because i found myself in situations before in china in ethiopia in in experiences where things are being put in front of me that in my brain i'm like 
I have no idea what this is. I'm about to eat this with a smile on my mm-hmm. face because I'm so, it, it's such a sign of respect to if you're in someone's home, if you're in someone's mm-hmm. restaurant. And I do think often as a traveler into a city like that, they're watching you. It's like, how are they going to receive this thing? Mm-hmm. And it's so important that you go in sort of like, well, I'm just gonna, whatever's meant to happen here is about to happen. And I'm just gonna experience this you know, with the joy of being able to be in this moment. Yeah, Yeah, I I have two small children and a big lesson that we really try to teach them. I think that most parents try to teach their children, but it's a hard lesson. And I have to then check myself and teach myself is that class that like, I hear it coming out of my mouth to my kids and I sort of hate myself for saying it, but it's a good lesson of like, don't yuck someone else's yum, you know? And when you go to a foreign place, Mm. there are so many things that are put in front of you and you're just like, oh, whoa, I don't know how to deal with this. And it's not something I, it's out of my comfort zone and your instinct is to retreat, you know? But that knowledge of like, it, of respect and, and reverence and for the tradition that comes with it and that it is someone else's deliciousness. And so let's figure that out and, and embrace it. And I, I mean, Paris yeah, isn't I, necessarily the scariest place to eat in that way. I of mean, course not. You just yeah, eat yeah. cheese and bread and charcuterie right. and lots of butter and, lots of butter and so many beautiful things and croissant and and all of these you know you can eat very easily there uh and not have to worry about the things but there's also you know what's the fun in only eating the things you're familiar with like let's let's go a little Absolutely. deeper and I think Paris hits that perfect mark of being able to do all those things also I would like to say that some of the best Chinese food I've ever had in my life is in I Paris believe it just like beautifully prepared. And in fact, when I went there for the very first time, I asked the concierge, because that's always what I do. It And it was maybe night three or four. And I was just sort of, I was had been in Europe for a while and I was wanting a different flavor palette. And I was like, what else? And he was honestly mm-hmm. like, "We let me send you to this place. We do this really well. And it was phenomenal. One of the best meals of my life. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't for sure. Food, so beautiful. Great. What is your third city? City three, I'm bringing it back to North America. There's two two North American choices in my top five. But the next one is the only American city on my list, and uh, like United States of America. And it is, I I kind of excluded New York and LA from these lists, from this list, this round, because they're they're low-hanging fruit, because they're, you know... I I know them too well, but I'm, yes, they're extraordinary, but they're, they're too easy. But anyway, New Orleans is the next choice. Ooh, yes. Okay. Talk us through this. I've spent quite a lot of time in New Orleans in my life. Luckily, you know, we shot Top Chef a full season there. We shot a finale there. Uh, When we shoot Top Chef, we very luckily, we get to really hunker down in a city for a while. We never shoot in the same city. Every season has been in another city around the world um, or around the country. And we go to a place for like two months. So we get to really get to know the community, the chef community. And, you know, it's not two years, but it's enough time that you're not just spending a weekend, you know, trying to rush through. So we spent, you know, two months there several years ago. We had then the finale. And then I just figured out a way to get there at least once a year. We have very good friends there and I'm, you know, I'm close with and really cherish the the culinary community there. It is a city just like no other in this country, I think. Look, there are so many places with unique culture, unique food. Every city in the world, every city in North America certainly has its own thing. But New Orleans, I feel like, is separate 
in a way from the rest of the country in its history, in its geography, which is informs its history, mm-hmm. obviously, so much, and in its culinary traditions. And it has created this cuisine that is truly unique and not found anywhere else in this country. And there is so much to discover. And it is a confluence of so many cultures, of course, like all of North America, that is a country made up of immigrants. New Orleans obviously has a huge Black African community and huge roots there. Huge Vietnamese population because of the French population that, you know, that comes then from Canada, from Arcadia that traveled down, which created the, the, the Creole connection that, you know, and then there is, you know, there's just layer upon layer of history in New Orleans, let alone the fact that New Orleans is sort of built on marshland and has its own very Mm -hmm. unique geography that informs its food based on the seafood that it can harvest, based on the the marshlands and the mangrove and the, the water access, the Gulf Coast. So there's just so many unique influences, I think, in New Orleans. And it is a city, obviously, of music. And it is a city of resilience. And I just think all of these building blocks have together created a food culture that I think is one of the most extraordinary in the world at so many levels. And if you were going there tonight, what would you want to have for dinner? Everything. But I would probably, you know, <laughs> there's like, there's, a, there's so much great seafood in New Orleans. I'd want to eat um, at Yuki Chase. I'd want to eat Leah Chase's gumbo. I'd want to eat a po'boy at San Malisi's. I'd want to go to some of the old school sort of fancier places that have these old traditions um, like Clancy's, one of my favorites, been around forever and ever, you know, the guys in their tuxedos feeding me oysters. But I'd also want to mm-hmm. eat at, there's like this place, Arno by the tracks that I love. And oh no, there's Louisa by the tracks, excuse me. And there's this Arno Bicho that I love. You know, there's all these little humble places that are just serving great traditional food their way. The combination of the music in that city, which I find so tied to the food, mm-hmm. I think is, is really an extraordinary combination. Places where you can go and eat great food and hear great music at the same time. So many great right. music venues, you know, COVID aside, obviously all of this is in our dreams mm-hmm. right now. Right. Where right. I've spent so many nights in celebration in, in that city. So rad. And you know what? That actually is a really great way to think of it. It, it, It's a city of celebration. And for a place that has lived through such hardship, Mm -hmm. I would also say like the, I I maybe sound like woo woo right now, but like there's New Orleans has a magic to it. There's no question. That is sort of in, it's in the air. It's permeated through everything that you're doing. It feels different when you step off the plane there than it does, let's say if you're landing in LA or Chicago. Yeah. And I, and I think that we tend to think of it as like the party city and we're going to go there and we're going to have the drinks and whatever, but oh my God, the Southern, like, have you ever been to Mother's? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like go, I know that's not like, cause I tend to be maybe what you're saying, the kind of humble places. I'm like, guys, yeah. where do I go? It's like, you're going to go to Mother's. You're going to get the Ferdy. You're going to do this. You're going to stand in this line. You're going to say, yes, ma'am. And no, sir. And like, take this sandwich and you don't know what's in it. And it's so freaking good. You won't be able to eat for three days. It's, yeah. um, I, I, I actually didn't 
I don't tend to think of that one on my list. So I love that. you. Oh yeah. No, New Orleans to me, I've had some really good meals. It's, it is, it's magical. It's magical. And the, the restaurants are magical. There's also, you know, a lot of really new, interesting food and innovation coming out of there, partially because that city has had to rebuild itself so many times. And it's a city that I just feel like keeps coming back better and better. And I know I'm, I'm obviously sugarcoating everything just like their beignets, but you know, I, I, I feel like the food there is just so unique and so underappreciated mm. and, and meaningful for the people who live there. What do you think you've been in this industry for so long? So what do you think, how does the city sort of get on the map in terms of like, is it about having celebrity chef culture and then you have someone come who sort of built, or is it, because I feel like it kind of pops up and it's like, oh, this is the new place to go or that is. Oh, that's a good question. There's a lot of things. I don't know. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, cities that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of as as a food destination 10 years ago. And now I'm, you know, raring to go. And I think there's a lot of things that come together with that, you know, a tradition. It all starts with tradition. I mean, every city in the world has its own food traditions that are happening. I think these days when I'm thinking about what's interesting in a food city is the cooks who have spent time training let's say at all the places that were the forever classic places and realize I need to do it my way and think about my roots and who I am and my voice and take like it's a training and understanding of of the food that's of the place and reinterpret it according to to them and their culture and who they are and often neighborhoods build up with you know the, the sign of restaurant of neighborhoods Sometimes it's a sign of gentrification for better or worse, but mm-hmm. neighborhoods start to gather sort of traction. It all starts with a restaurant, right? Or a cafe, a local gathering spot that builds community in a, in a neighborhood. And it's almost always the restaurants that are first. And when neighborhoods start to change, you know, it's often because restaurants can't afford to be in the hub of the downtown center and they want to either be with their community or they want to find a place where they can afford rent because as we all know, restaurants have very high costs to survive. So finding a a neighborhood and setting down roots in that neighborhood and being a place where the community gathers. And once the community gathers, the word gets out and it slowly starts to spread throughout the city, throughout the country. And if, you know, and I think it's a lot about authenticity, interpreting the ingredients and the traditions of the place you're in, in a way that feels authentic to you. And if you, you know, there's so many chefs doing that so well these days, taking, let's say their roots, whether their roots are in that place or from somewhere else and interpreting it to this, this moment, that moment in time. So whether you are someone who has immigrated to a certain city and you're taking the food from your culture, but adapting it in a way that, you know, feels right to you and to your community where you're planting those roots. I think like there's just so many ways to do it that then cause waves and make people want to want to come and listen and hear and eat. 
That was a, that was a rambling answer, but you know, no, I loved, honestly, I love that. I'm, I'm literally, my, my girlfriends and I are all such foodies and I feel like I'm going to just go repeat what you said. Cause I, I even think about that for us. Like we love chef's table and what makes that show so cool is the ability to watch someone take that culture that they grew up with. And maybe it's like literally one thing that they know how to do, Mm -hmm. but they're taking that one thing and they're expressing it in such a beautiful way. So I've always been curious, like what makes a city kind of pop? So that actually is an exceptional answer. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, good. Then great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which brings us to city number four. Uh, my second North American city is Montreal. Hmm. And I think Montreal and, and New Orleans have a lot in common. Historically, they, you know, had French occupation. The sort of the story of New Orleans starts way up, as I said, in Acadia, which, you know, which is in Eastern Canada. And so there's a lot of sort of commonality there. And historically, I think New Orleans is so kind of separate in its culture and has such unique cultural influences from the rest of the country and Montreal, those two, you know, Montreal being part of the province of Quebec, Quebec has a history of being a a province province in Canada that actually wanted to separate, has at several points in its history, wanted to separate from the rest of Canada because it does have such a unique culture it has a separate government. It has very separate legal system, and it has it's 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 French, right? The the province of Quebec is a completely fr- is a French province versus the rest of Canada that is largely anglophone, and so the there is so much culturally in Quebec that's unique in Canada and in North America for that reason. Specifically, I think Montreal is actually a place where all of those things meet: the French and the English cultures come together. Um, It's a truly bilingual city. Um, A lot of people think that French is Canada's second language, but it is not. Canada has two official primary languages, French and English. It's not like here where Spanish is kind of considered the secondary language of of, um, the U.S., not the same. And in Quebec, it is French first. In Montreal, though, it's, you know, the population is sort of split French to English speakers and culturally, so there is this really interesting tension created between those communities. And I think out of that has actually spawned from its immigrant history, a really interesting food culture. The other thing about Montreal that is unique to Canada, similar to New York in many ways, is that the immigration pathways from Europe during the World Wars, et cetera, the way that um, immigrants all came through Ellis Island to America, the pathway into Canada was through Montreal, was through the St. Lawrence River. That's how my grandparents both got to Canada. And so there is just a really, you know, it is the city where everyone came first, sort of from that immigrant pathway. There is also, because it is a French city, a lot of French cities that were colonized by France have huge cultural communities in Montreal. So there is a huge Vietnamese community again, there was a huge Haitian community. You know, there's French Africa has huge roots in Montreal. And so there is just really an incredible deep-rooted diversity to the food there. Um, and then there's, of course, the kind of French food there. But Montreal does not just redo French food like from France. It has its own style, its own grit its own culture that's informed obviously by its geography, uh, by the climate. It is an incredibly cold, snowy place. 
you know, six to eight months of the year. And so that all has informed a history that I think makes Montreal eating unlike any other. I lived there for many years and, uh, and that's what I was going to yeah. ask. Yeah. I went to college in Montreal. My mother's from Montreal. So my mom's whole side of the family was in Montreal. She spent my whole life traveling to Montreal, even though I grew up in Toronto. Um, and then I went to college in Montreal at McGill university. And then I married a Montrealer, even though we're both here in New York. So we still spend a lot of time in Montreal. We're there except for obviously this year, several times a year, the chef community, the, the markets. I mean, the, the farmers markets in Montreal, I think, are the best in North America. I've never seen anything that even compares. You know, the produce, the the, the artisans, and then there's just this like this grit to Montreal cooking. It's it sticks to your bones, and it's just so delicious. Oh my gosh, I, I'm adding it to the list because that's definitely not something. Been to Toronto, obviously, a lot, and Vancouver. Beautiful cities, not the same food. Beautiful cities, but yeah, no, that's so. I, I'm such a nerd, but I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put that. I'm writing that down. Well, when you go, I will send you your list of where you have to eat. Please, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we need that for all of us listening. What's your fifth city? Um, my fifth city. This like a big hard. build. Up. I don't know. This it's not in any order, as I said. But you know, my fifth city. This is hard because I wanted. I wanted to say like. 20 different places. Really, I did. Like, uh, it was a toss up between Tel Aviv and Barcelona. So, I don't know, you choose. I was hoping you were going to bring Barcelona okay, into so this. Go Barcelona. But I've never been to, okay. When you said Tokyo and sort of like going to different places based on their specialty, I'm like, that's that's Barcelona to me. Yeah. Like, we're going to go here, we're going to have this specific mm-hmm. thing. And then, so, okay, you you guide us though. I'm, we're going with you to Barcelona. Um, Barcelona, Barcelona is, I mean, Barcelona is fun, first of all. Oh, <laughs> it is beautiful. So freaking fun. And, uh, you know, the food of Barcelona, again, is very unique in Spain. You know, just like any other country, you know, it's very regional. And Barcelona, because of its location and its proximity to Europe, uh, to the rest of Europe, you know, the, so much of the rest of Spain, especially as you go south, has a very different history to Barcelona. And and it's a much humbler, different cuisine as south. The more you go south, it also has more and more connections sort of to North Africa, whereas Barcelona might be a little more European, a little more global. I mean, Madrid is certainly an incredible city, too, and a very global city. But, but Barcelona, to me, is just like they take their ingredients so seriously. And yes, they are, you know, the, the, their uh, attention to very specific cultural and like culinary traditions, I think, are amazing. And it's just all done with such an incredible sense of pride and celebration and beauty and not ever taken too seriously. You know, there's so much whimsy, I find, to the food in Barcelona and to the chefs in Barcelona. So, you know, like eating there, again, I find is, you know, there's all these places that have been forever. There's very, very traditional Spanish food, but then there is so, so much, especially in Barcelona and around Barcelona, like so much innovation happening there totally. the, you know the modern you know Barcelona down of course towards uh Basque country too and and San Sebastian but you know just being such a, a metropolis a modern metropolis I find just Barcelona is dizzying in it in its opportunity for deliciousness well and I think having gone there several times in my life and and that being one of the first cities that I traveled to internationally and kind of not understanding I would go have a dish in 
some restaurant and then maybe a couple of nights later, or maybe on a different trip, I would order the same thing. And what I love about that city is that it feels like everybody has such a unique offering mm-hmm. of everything they're presenting you. So, and not that, not that we don't experience that in other places, but Barcelona stands out in my mind as this, like, you might have this dish and then the next time you order, it's going to be deconstructed and done with a different sauce and what, and it's such an experience. And I do feel like the attitude of everywhere you go, it's celebration is right. And like joy and fun. And there's something in the air and they're Mm -hmm. so happy you're here. And also here's uh, some more wine. And it's it's outside and it's humble, but it's also like they really revere the, and are so proud of their food history. And I think it is so, so different from the rest of Europe. You know, it's easy to sort of lump, lump it together, but I don't know, Spain has a thing also. Oh my gosh. You have basically taken us on a world food tour <laughs> and I'm so glad <laughs> I've loved every second of it. Honestly, I'm nerding out right now. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Be, just the, you give a perspective to it that I wouldn't have ever thought of before, which is really interesting to listen to. So well, I can't wait. To I, I'm going to be again. honest with, so this is how right. nice me to pretend too. we're traveling a little bit. I know me too. Okay. For when like we get to wave a magic wand and it's lifted, you get to go to one city. What city are you going to? I mean, we really, my husband and I keep joking that we just want to move to Japan. So maybe it would be Tokyo, but I mean, I also haven't been home to see my family in a year, so that's the whole thing. Right. But right. <laughs> those right. aside, I mean, if we could just snap our fingers and go anywhere, yeah, I can't get Tokyo off my mind, which is why I put it first on the right. list. Right. Right. Well, that's the spot then. Yeah. That's the place to hit up. Yeah. If only in my dreams for now. Right. <laughs> so did I hear that you have a new show coming out? Yes, I do. So um, Top Chef Season 18 premieres April 1st. Uh, which we're really excited about, very proud of, because we shot the whole season in Portland, Oregon, you know, in the in the thick of things uh, during the pandemic, yeah. but also in the middle of so much turmoil in Portland itself. It's, you know, it's, it's had a really hard time. Like we were there through the wildfires, through a lot of political and, you know, environmental mm-hmm. issues, but we were so proud to be able to work there and to highlight Oregon because it's a very special place and it's part mm-hmm. of the country I really haven't spent time in before so that was exciting and Top Chef you know in this moment in our history is really I think allowing our viewers and will allow our viewers to have perspectives on what it's like to be a restaurateur right now which is really something that we could have never anticipated and to and to really give empathy and a voice to the restaurant industry in America right now which needs our help and needs our voices and our support. So that I'm really proud of. And then we got to, I got to stay on a little longer and make a new show with Top Chef called Top Chef Amateurs that will premiere later this summer. And that's all about getting home cooks into the Top Chef kitchen, which was a first for all of us. Was that so much fun? It was so much fun. It was just wacky and hilarious and unbelievable to see these amazingly talented home cooks but that had also been living at home, not leaving their house for a year, becoming really skilled home cooks. Because as right. we know, we've all been cooking our faces off and then walk into the top, the top Chef kitchen and have to sort of go through a day in the life of what we put our Top Chef contestants through. And it was really challenging and really eye-opening, but also beautiful to see all that they could accomplish. 
That is that is so fun. I feel like that's that sounds like the kind of thing I'd want to watch with my kids. Yeah, because we love watching competition mm-hmm. shows where, especially when it's an amateur, like they yeah. tend to gravitate to those more than the professionals. So does it feel like a family kind of viewing Absolutely. thing? Absolutely. There's a lot of beautiful stories. You know, it's okay. one of those things where we didn't really know what to expect when we shot it because obviously this is our first time making a show like this. Top Chef has always, always, always been about professionals. We've done masters. We've done desserts. You know, but we've never let home cooks into the kitchen. That's always what has kind of set us apart is that we've always been only about professionals. But because cooking and, you know, and home cooks have just become so unbelievable through the pandemic, we just thought now is the time, but we still didn't know what to expect and getting in, getting into the kitchen with them. You know, I, every episode I would start off and be like, okay, I'm not crying today, people. I am not going to cry. I am going to be stoic and, totally intimidating and they would you know the the home cooks would walk into the kitchen and tell their stories and start cooking and I would just like break down every time <laughs> we'll see oh what makes the gosh. final cut but it was really moving like you know tears of joy tears of empathy but it was just a very emotional experience for everybody that we did not think it would be oh, how cool I can't wait to watch thank you um, if people too. are if people are listening or what if they're enjoying this conversation and they want to hang out with you online what is, where can they find you on social media um, you can find me on instagram at gail simmons eats you can find me on twitter at gail simmons facebook gail simmons official and then if you really want to go deep come on over to gailsimmons.com yes and i'm on bravo tv you know on top chef Gail, this was such a treat. Thank you, Rachel. Honestly, I'm I'm glad that I ate before we started talking because otherwise I'd be starving now. But thank you so much for the time. And thank you for bringing such a cool perspective to what could have just been a conversation about like yummy cheese and ended up being a conversation about culture and influence and how important it is to celebrate uh, restaurant culture. Thank you. Every, in every city in the world. So I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It was really fun for me too. Your Faves Faves is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support from Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Your Faves Faves is a 3% chance production. 